0: We are still in the middle of this pandemic. And right now, having science news you can trust, from variants to vaccines, is essential. NPR Shortwave has your back. About 10 minutes every weekday, listen and subscribe to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino, I'm Felix Contreras. This week, we're going to feature a conversation with Gustavo Santo Olaya. And honestly, we could do one show a day for a whole week and still not cover the immensity of his creative output going back to his first days as a musician in 1970s Argentina. He's a prolific producer of other musicians whose work can be considered stylistically groundbreaking. He's collected a number of Grammys and Latin Grammys over the years. He also has two Academy Awards on his mantle, along with a slew of International Music and Film Awards. His latest venture is scoring video games, which is a whole new frontier of musical creativity. In the course of the interview this week, he explains that he stays creatively active and curious by never looking back, always looking forward to the next project that may catch his attention. And to start off the interview, I asked him about his latest project as a producer of the six-part Netflix series called Rompan Todo, or Break Everything, a look at the history of what we now call Latin Alternative, but what was once called Rock en Español, or Rock en Nuestra Idioma. And to start things off, I asked him about how he got involved with Rompan todo
1: the main producer is uh, a guy named nico entel we both had this dream about making a documentary i mean my dream was sort of manifested already in my work because part of my agenda uh, was for you know more than almost 20 years was to actually you know build a map of this alternative music that was going on on in Latin America. I come from Argentina, but I was totally aware of the music that was taking place in other countries, and that's why it was so important for us also to tell this story in juxtaposition with the socio-political, the geopolitical realities, you know. It was fundamental. So Nico and I had the same idea, and actually, you know, he called me with this idea and said, man, I wanted to make this documentary for years, you know. And we had a common friend who was Piki Talarico, which is the director of the film. He had directed in numerous videos for me, for uh, for groups that I produce, you know, with uh, my label, Surco, so we created a really good team, and I think Netflix really was very, very receptive to the idea. I think, I mean, the fact that also that it was not just a documentary about, you know, music history, but, uh, but it was something that connected with, you know, with a, a deeper uh, reality, and it was a tremendous success. I mean, the response that we have gotten, and not only in Latin America, which, you know, the, the, top, the show was, you know, top 10 for a long time, and one and two in Mexico and Argentina and Chile and some other territories, uh, but also it got to number 15 in the world chart of Netflix, you know? So it's a big, big accomplishment. I mean, the, the, the documentary came, the series came out in 190 territories. It's been uh, subtitled in 32 uh, languages. It, it was an effort. I mean, I, I say it took us three years, you know, to put it together, but it was really 50 years in the making because it, it was, you know, 50 years of really, of a, of, of a movement that that you really have to connect with that reality because it's so different of... You know, what, what was what happened in the music here in the in the United States? And I always like to point out that when I came here in 1978, uh, I was very. Uh uh, I don't know, turned down by the music scene because I was coming from a country in which I was put in jail just for having long hair and playing an electric guitar. And, and suddenly I came to a place where, where all those values that rock had embraced in the 60s, you know, that, that music that became sort of the folk music of the young people of the world to express their, their concerns, their insatisfaction with, a, you know, with the system and everything, had been totally turned into a corporate uh, business and uh, bands were, you know, Journey, Kansas, Boston. I mean, music that uh, that you know. I mean, I, I I mean, it can be good music, but it didn't represent anything to me. Uh, but at the time, also there was this this reformulation of rock with the punk movement and the new wave movement, and that was was amazing. So I, I embraced that. I became a a new waver and a punk myself. Uh, and uh, but that movement was actually. Uh, sort of eaten up by MTV in 10 years, it was gone. But after that, you know, after punk, I think the last thing in rock here was a little bit, you know, the grunge movement, you know, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and that's it. And then it was again sort of swallowed by by the system. I like to compare the situation of rock now in the world, you know, to the... Quarantine. I, I feel that rock is, is in, in quarantine now, uh, and the, and the vaccine is coming from Latin America. I think, you know, <laughs> and it has a perfume of of women too, because I feel there's there's all this new 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 wave of of, of women that are embracing electric guitars. You know? uh, so it's a very exciting moment. I think that the documentary also came at a, at, a, at a moment in which you know the the rock in general is in this. Sort of point of inflection, you know, of what's going to go. And you have acts even like, you know, Bad Bunny that, like, you know, can be at the top of the charts. And then when he's asked about, you know, what are his influences, he put at the top of the line rock. He put as one of his main influences, you know? So. It was, uh, it's, a, it's been a combination of, of several things, but I'm very, very proud of the documentary. Is it perfect? No, it's not. I mean, could it satisfy everyone? No, of course not. I mean, it's very ambitious, really, to try to, to, you know, to tell that story. There's so many bands and artists, you know, that are fantastic and relevant, but at least has started the conversation, and hopefully there'll be more documentaries, you know, about it. I think that what people
0: don't understand here in the United States is, for example, when you talk about when you got jailed and for just having right. long hair and playing guitar, right. you know, in the documentary, there's uh, references to other musicians disappeared by the government, by the dictatorships, right. you know, so it was, it's a life and death thing that just isn't, doesn't have the same resonance here in the United That's States true. or in other parts of the world. That's one of the strengths of the documentary that Puts it in the puts it in a real
1: a very real context. Very Absolutely, real context. and it's so so important because it definitely shapes the music. You know, and it doesn't matter if you're singing a song it doesn't the, the songs don't, don't it did not necessarily have to be you know about you know protest songs. You know, I mean, it could be a song about anything. It's just you know the media is the message. What we were doing, you know what I mean. Just being in that movement represented a threat to this totalitarian governments, you know, and and uh, therefore we were, you know, somehow, you know, considered enemies of the state. I'm talking to Gustavo Santalaya, he's in,
0: uh, in Los Angeles. He has a very nice hat on right now, and we're gonna. During the course of this interview, we're gonna have you put on a couple of different hats because we talked about your role yeah. as a producer and uh, an interview in rompan Todo*, the Netflix documentary. Now let's put your hat on as a as a band member in the in the band *Bajo Fondo*. You're nominated for a Grammy for Best Latin Rock or Alternative Album uh, mm-hmm. for
1: *Aura*. Uh, Talk a little bit about that band. Uh, Tango orchestras are uh, usually called orquesta típica. We say that ours is an orquesta (laughs) atípica because it's very, (laughs) you know, unusual. We come from two different countries, you know, we come from Argentina and Uruguay. We have this river, El Río de la Plata, the river plate, that actually some people think divide us and we we think unite us, you know. We're very similar. We are really like brothers, you know. Uh, We have very uh, 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 typical characteristics on each side of that river. But at the same time, there is this culture from El Rio de la Plata that we are all part. So we share, you know, uh, the culture of tango, Milonga, candombe murga, all these, you know, rhythms and 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 musical timbers uh, that come from there. And we—I always been, you know, tremendously interested in in things that have, you know, identity. It's been a, a constant in my career since I started, you know, my first album in 1969. But tango was something that I—I I was very respectful. I I al- always did uh, deal, dealt more. I did a few hints here and there with tango, but more with folkloric uh, fusion with rock, you know? But tango was something that was waiting for me, you know? And I think age had to do with too, you know? I I, I felt that I had to live more to really tap into it. It's a music that is uh, very popular, and at the same time very sophisticated you know so uh, when we started the project with Juan Campodonico which is my partner in the creation of this project he's from Uruguay I'm from Argentina he's a producer who has produced Jorge Drexler and Cuarteto de Nos you know and also he has his own had his own uh, group Peyote Asesino when we started it was more like a recording project it was a producer's project we, we started in the studio inviting some musicians and sort of creating in it there it was a moment that tango electrónico came into the scene, you know, with groups like Gotan Project and things like that. You know, we were actually both Gotan was doing this in Europe, and we were doing this in between Los Angeles, Buenos Aires, and Montevideo. And none of us knew about the other one. You know, this one of these things that happen uh, through history. You know, when there's an art movement and and people sort of have the same radar and capturing things. Funny, but it happens. And this was one of those cases. But uh, the record had immediately a uh, great reception by the audience and that uh, result in us playing live. So when that happened, you know, and we finally played live, we started first calling some musicians, some of them which played in the album, uh, but we, we knew that we had to put together a group. And in the period, in the, I will say in three months, we put together the band that is the band that we have until today you know? And it's a mixture of Argentinians and and Uruguayans. And we have developed through these years and through four albums. um, We started in 2005, so we've been quite a bit, you know, for quite a bit of time now. We developed a language, a Bajo Fondo language, that allowed us in this last album, in Aura, to actually go to the studio and build this record out of improvisations. I mean, we had some ideas to start with, but this time, instead of, like, when previous albums, every brought the ideas, and then Juan and myself will work in the studio, create something, then brought it back to the band, and then develop it there. This time, the ideas were brought in and immediately went into an improvisation situation, and that's why there are songs that are, like, six, seven, eight minutes long. And it resulted in this album that is so personal and that sort of... uh, uh, ratified this language, this this este lenguaje bajo fondero, you know, this this language that 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 we can just start playing and improvising and it will go into this style of bajo fondo that has produced incredible connection with the audience uh, we've been you know around the world we have played i don't know you know uh, twi- three times in china four times in korea just to say all over europe we have gold records in greece uh, you know the nordic countries all latin america the united states canada africa there's only i mean india and russia that we haven't haven't played but uh, these record especially have uh, produced tremendous uh, connection with the people we won you know the Gardel, which is our humble argentinian grammy the graffiti which is the same but in uruguay we were nominated for a, a best recording of the latin grammys you know alongside some of the biggest sellers in in the industry you know uh, and now this which is really just to be nominated in the grammys in the in the anglo grammys let's say you know in the best Latin rock uh, or alternative category is uh, an award in itself. You can find it in Bajo Fondo, soul, electronic, uh, rock, classical music, jazz, all those influences, you know, we, we, we like to say that it's, you know, we're influenced by the music that we grew up listening to, the music that our parents used to listen to. I mean, all that, uh, and now the music that the kids, we're actually now doing a collaboration with a trap artist, you know, with the. Big trap artists in Argentina called ECA. So we we are we are open to to all of this. You know that's what Bajo Fondo gives you the opportunity to collaborate. We have collaborated with Elvis Costello or with Gustavo Cerati or La Mala Rodriguez. I mean it's a very wide range of artists that have been come uh, close to Bajo Fondo. <laughs>
0: I want to dig in a little bit deeper on that just for a second, because with all of your accolades and titles and successes as a producer, as a composer, etc., what this band in particular gets to is that you're a musician at heart. That's your bottom line, right? I mean, going back to that, your yes. great record, Ron Rocco, that just completely changed things for me, at least personally that spirit that
1: energy seems to drive just about everything you touch yes and bajo fondo gave me the opportunity to go back to the stage you know which now i have embraced as a solo artist again you know that was like, like the big next step which happened like four years ago you know when i past my 60th birthday, a lot of things happened in my life. I mean, also, you know, the possibility and now the reality of becoming a grandfather, you know, I have now two granddaughters, things that were very personal that happened in my life that that uh drove me to to do something that I've never done before, which is was to to press the pause button, you know. I never used to look back to what I've done because there's a lot of stuff, you know. So I was always looking at the front, taking risks, trying not to start in my comfort zone, but always present myself with new challenges. But it was a point that I I I needed to like look back and see how did I get here, you know? So I started reviewing my my life through through my songs, through my compositions. And that's how Desandando el Camino came to life, which is this tour that I've done you know, all through Latin America. Uh, and I was about to bring it here to the States. I was scheduled to play UCLA, Royce Hall, and then all this happened. But uh, I started that tour in the Colon Theater in Argentina, which is this beautiful 100-year-old uh, opera theater. And that connect me with my compositions since I was, I placed Stuff that I wrote when I was 17, 16 years old. To bajo fondo stuff, you know. I go through even the movies, the video game, you know, the Last of Us. And I play a lot of a lot of that stuff. And uh, but bajo fondo was really what the first thing that brought me back uh, to the stage. Now it's 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 different, you know. Now I have bajo fondo and I have also my my solo stuff that it's even more personal, you know.
0: You're listening to Alt Latino in a conversation with music producer Gustavo Santaolalla you touched on just a little bit and i want to move to that put on yet another hat your status as a composer and an academy award-winning film composer mm-hmm. how did you get started in that because you've won academy awards in 2006 for brokeback mountain and 2007 for babel how did you get into composing for film
1: i always was very attracted to films as a matter of fact uh, one of the first paid jobs that i had when i was 15 years old was actually do the score for a short film that a parent a father of one of my friends at school did so that was my initiation in the movie theater but i wanted to study actually filmmaking i signed my first recording deal in which i started my career as an artist and as a producer because i produce those recordings when i was 16 years old so i was going to high school and i was already i had already records on the radio you know so i thought well i have my band now now I finished high school I'm going to study cinema movie making now I can add that to the you know to the band and stuff and unfortunately the military rulers at the time in Argentina closed down the Institute of Cinematography and uh, so there were no more film classes but always always I got this comment about my music and my productions people you know used to say you know your music is so visual you know, your, your, your production, and everything is so visual. And it's true. I think music in very visual terms, you know. But the story really starts with Amores Perros. That was really uh, something that could have not happened. I never read the script. I never saw a rough cut. And I remember I was so busy at the time. I think I was working in Julieta's album and doing some other stuff as usual, you know, very doing multiple projects that I went to Lucia, you know, my, my, assistant you know even still today and said Lucia you know tomorrow call Mexico and say that that I'm not gonna be able to do this film you know because I'm, I mean I'm so busy I've never never seen anything of Alejandro I don't know it was his, his first
0: film you're talking about Alejandro Iñarrito, a Mexican filmmaker who is now a five-time
1: Academy Award winner it was going to be his first film I'd never seen anything of him before I'd never seen a rough cut or read the script or anything so I said you know I'm so busy it was so crazy business. I'm not going to be able to do this. You know, I can't commit myself. So I said to Lucia, please call tomorrow and say, we're not. And in the middle of the night, this is absolutely true story. I woke up and I started to thinking, what if this guy is a genius? What if the movie is amazing? And, and, and you just say no to something that you haven't even, you know, check it out, you know? So I called early, Lucia said, Lucia, stop the call. Just say, you know, that if they come to Los Angeles and they show me the movie, I will definitely consider it. And sure enough, Alejandro came over, you know, with the film, at the time he was a chain smoker, you know, I remember he put the the VHS, because it was like a VHS at the time, We put the VHS on, I was with Aníbal Kerpel, you know, my creative partner and hermano de de la vida. We put the, you know, the, the film, he went out to smoke and Probably whoever saw the film will remember those first 10 minutes of that car chase with the dog bleeding in the back. I mean, which was amazing. And I remember we look at each other with an email and we said, we're doing this film. I don't know if I have to cancel other stuff, but we are, we are we're, we're involved. In and so that's how we did, did that film. And then in, in the middle of doing the film, Alejandro said, "You know, I have this friend Walter Salles," and I'm go, "Oh yes, Central Station. I love Walter Salles. You know, he's doing this movie about Guevara. You know, before he was El Che and stuff. And you are from Argentina. You should meet." So I, I met with with Walter, and I, I end up doing Motorcycle Diaries, and that was the first film that actually got me recognition. I got a BAFTA, you know, which is the equivalent of the Oscar, but in Great Britain, you know, in England. And sure enough, you know, it, it won. It won Best Foreign Film, and, 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 and I won for the music. That was my first, uh, like, sort of big award. And then when, when we were presenting uh, Motorcycle Diaries at Sundance, there was, a, you know, a, a, a dinner, so we went to the dinner and stuff, and then, you know... Kathy Nelson, a friend, you know, started saying, you know, Gustavo should meet Ang Lee. That's Ang Lee, the director of the 2005 groundbreaking film Brokeback Mountain. So it, it wasn't, you know, like a strategy uh, planned, you know, or, or there was no Hollywood agents involved or nothing like that. It was really just a, a, a connection that had to do with the music and uh, something more artistic that actually something more business or marketing as strategic.
0: And finally, Gustavo Santolaya talks about his participation in the soundtrack for the video game, The Last of Us, part two.
1: I wasn't a gamer. My son, I had a son, you know. At the time, he was 15 when I did my first. The last Two of us, and uh, that he was a gamer. And I always thought, you know, if somebody really makes a an emotional connection with the players, an emotional in an emotional level, this could be re, no pun intended, but a, a game changer, you know. And so I, I was approached by a couple of big companies prior, to, but I, it didn't reverberate with me you know i didn't find this that i was looking for and when i met neil neil Druckmann, the director and writer of uh, the last of us told me the story and you know people cry playing this game you know people have moments in which they actually cry playing the game and and, and it's you know s- some particular moments that that happens to to everybody you know in those in those moments and that was again something that it wasn't, no, there was no strategy, or it was really a connection because of, of the music. And it has allowed me to now reach a totally different audience, which is, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-old kids around the world, because it's fascinating what, what video games can do. I, the music, we have to say, plays a very important role in the game, in The Last of Us. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's almost like another character in the game and that led me to you know this last of us two in which i actually i'm in the game i have a little part in the game you know you start the game and suddenly there's a guy in a corner in the town playing the banjo you know in a corner and then it's me (laughs) you know (laughs) so uh it's it's amazing now this wide audience that i have reached that in in some cases you know don't know about each other like they know like there's some audience that are connected with me through The Last of Us that don't have the slightest idea that I play in Bajo Fondo. You know what I mean? Or people that follow Bajo Fondo, that they don't know anything about The Last of Us. And, and you know, you can do this combination many times. Uh, it is, I mean, as, as time goes by, it's more, it's harder because people are t- starting to connect the dots, you know, and say, oh, is this the same guy that, you know, is this, this, this? But but uh, it's been a, t- a tremendous experience. Uh, ride in my life I feel very lucky very blessed and very grateful that I had the opportunity to do what I love to do and to connect with so many people you know it's uh, it's a it's a blessing you know I'm very very grateful for for this
0: of the things that stands out especially when you did the soundtrack for Brokeback Mountain and then you're doing the gaming it's one of the things that we touched on on a recent show here on Alt Latino about the idea of defying expectations people would consider you a guitarist from Argentina they may have certain preconceived notions about what your sound is and what you you know where who you are but your entire body of work you couldn't call it Latin music, couldn't call it Argentinian music, it's Gustavo music, right? We get invested in musicians who have a distinct sound of their own, and it just becomes their music, and labeled almost Correct,
1: and I think it's a great point, you know, to re-explore, because you can say exactly the same thing about Iñárritu's films. It's not a Latin film. It's a film made by a Latino director. It's not Latin music. It's music made by a Latino musician. I mean, therefore, if they are really true to their nature, somehow, in, in one way or another, that heritage is going to show up. Like I say, for example, in Brokeback Mountain, I know that in that guitar... There is Atahualpa Yupanqui.
0: Uh, that's Atahualpa Yupanqui, an Argentine folk singer from the
1: 1960s and 70s. I know it. You know what I mean. People might not re- not even know who Atahualpa Yupanqui is. You know what I mean. But in those silences, in this, the the tempo, there's things. There's definitely that. Uh, influence that makes me who I am, and you, know, and, and you know, and that it connects with my Latino heritage. And it is there in, in my music, but it doesn't necessarily, we have to say, is Latin music. It is Latin music because it's made by a Latino, but it is music, it's universal music that, that is created by somebody that is a Latino.
0: Okay, what's next for Gustavo Santo Olaya? Have you taken your finger off your personal pause button?
1: I'm doing something. uh, I'm doing, you know, keep on exploring in genres and things that I already were working on and that I will continue to work on. And that's, you know, producing other artists or, or, you know, all, all that stuff. But, you know, with Bajo Fondo, we're doing a couple of projects, one with an actress and singer, but mainly actress very big in Argentina called Natalia Oreiro, which is huge in Russia too. so we're doing something with her. We're doing this thing with ECA with Bajo Fondo too, which is this trap artist. Uh, I'm doing a couple of, uh, of projects, uh, uh, of animation projects for Netflix. One with my dear friend Jorge Gutierrez, with whom I did uh, The Book of Life, you know uh, that that uh, anim- uh, animated beautiful animated mood so we're doing a series called maya and the three with jorge gutierrez for netflix but i'm also doing a series and this is something new for me that is animation but is stop motion animation and that's this uh, different technique which results in a very different uh, mood it is animation but I will, you know, I just I don't think you can compare it to a, you know, to a digital animation or a traditional animation. It's really different a stop motion animation. So it's something, again, for, for Netflix. It's called The House, and it's uh, through a production company from England called Nexus. I've also done this, the, wrote the score and uh, a song uh, for a documentary that is today, these days, in Amazon. Called Freak Power, The Ballot or the Bomb. And it's a documentary about Hunter Thompson, you know, the radical writer of the 60s. And uh, we wrote a song for the titles with a uh, Paul Williams, uh, my friend Paul Williams, which I worked with in Book of Life, uh, the great Paul Williams, uh, doing the lyrics. And uh, with Gary Clark Jr., which I met at Crossroads. You know, I, I was uh, I had this this incredible honor to be called by Eric Clapton to do the music for his documentary. And then uh, he invited me to play at Crossroads, this festival with all interplays. And that's how I met Gary Clark Jr. And with him, we, we wrote... Uh, the song Valley of Last Resort, which actually we are sending to see if we eventually could get a an Academy uh, nomination for, for, for best song. You know, the documentary is really, really, really good too, and it shows uh, you know, those turbulent times of the 60s. And when you see some of those images of police brutality against African-Americans and stuff, and then you cut and you see (laughs) today some images that we can see, you know, in Portland or in some other place, and you go, boy, I mean, it's amazing, you know, that it seems that we haven't, advance that much, you know, in, in, in some of this, these issues. That's in Amazon Prime, uh, Freak Power. And uh, I also did the music for El Cid, which is the, this series based in the life of this iconic and his, historical Spanish figure, you know, El Cid Campeador. So uh, we did already one season and the other season is coming uh, out now. I'm also working in Narcos, Mexico, doing, you know, the next next season for that and working, you know, in some collaborations just songs that I'm collaborating uh, for albums of different artists with uh, Leon Gieco, uh, Julieta Venegas, who's going to do a new album. So, you know, these are a a few of of the things I just can keep on going. but, But these are some of the main stuff that I'm involved now
0: thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today man i really appreciate it you're very very busy very prolific and and again it's it's quite an honor to have you on the show it's uh for all the obvious reasons but also because it defies category is what duke ellington used to say you know some <laughs> mu- some musicians defy category
1: and you're one of those so thank you so much for oh joining thank us. you thank, thank you for those kind words and and, and thank you for for uh, letting me uh, get in touch with, with uh, your followers, you know, it, it means a lot. I thank you so much.
0: My thanks again to Gustavo Santo Olaya and everyone in his office who made this interview possible. You heard excerpts of his music this week, and you can hear more on our website at npr.org altlatino. You have been listening to Alt Latino from NPR Music. I'm Felix Contreras. As always, thank you for listening. Please be careful, man. Please be careful.